Teaching time tonight. You know, we had the uh, college young professionals over our house for a Super Bowl party this past Sunday. Come on. We had a good time. I know. It was good. It's good. And uh, so I have to do an honorable mention for, for Ryland because he brought Krispy Kreme donuts that were still hot from the hot sign. So he... He, he may or may not have followed the speed limit to be able to get to our house for the donuts to still be warm, but he did say, just, this is just all, this, this is a city lifer right here. He said, when I bought them, I, I, I turned my heat all the way up and put the donuts in the passenger side floorboard and let the heat blow on them to help keep them warm. I know, come on, that's dedication. And, and then, which I've still not figured this out yet, they were the biggest, I, I've I'm born and raised in Richmond, getting ready to turn 48 in March, been here my whole life. I have never seen Krispy Kreme donuts that big. They were, the, they were the size of honey buns. So I don't know if something's changed or if that was just the favor of God on Ryland's life that they, they supernaturally grew in the box while they were coming to to our Super Bowl party. So, all right, just a little, just a little honorable mention. So, hey, a couple of things. You know, we just finished casting what we're calling our 2020 vision for what we feel like God's speaking to us uh, as a church for the next six years. So we'll be talking more about that at our business meeting at the end of February. So if you call us uh, your church home, you're going to want to make sure you're at that meeting with us. It's one of our best meetings of the year. I know if you're visiting with us and you've been around churches your whole life, the thought of good and business meeting being in the same sentence, it, you're, you're either think that I am a liar or I don't understand the definition of the word good. So I, I guarantee you it's, it's a time of great celebration for our church. So, And if you do call us your church home, then you need to go onto the podcast and get and listen to that message because it really does talk about the course that we're setting together over these next six years through the year 2020. Already somebody has bought a digital soundboard for the, the mosaic. I know it's good anonymously, just out of the blue, donated it, and uh, I don't know who they are, wanted to remain anonymous. And then somebody's, we've not even launched the 2020 uh, funds yet. We're, we're going to talk about that at the business meeting. So we've not even launched that, and, and somebody already wrote a check for $5,500 to go to the, the vision fund. So I know, it's so good. So we're just excited about where things are headed uh, over these next six years, and we just thank you uh, so much for being a part of it. So, hey, one last thing, and we'll get into the message. I, I can't emphasize enough this taking this journey of faith promise. You might say, I don't have a penny and, 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 and extra to give. And what I would say to you is then you're the perfect candidate for faith promise because that's what faith promise is about. We don't want your name. Nobody's going to call you. It's not a pledge drive. It's between you and God. And if God doesn't provide those funds, then, no, then th that's between you and him. Does that make sense? And so th just this last year, uh, the church of, of our size, we're about 300 here in Newport News and about 100 in Williamsburg. Uh, uh, to have over $30,000 come in through Faith Promise Giving in 12 months was just remarkable. And so we're believing for that and more uh, for this coming year. So, And you're going to have crazy stories. That's part of what makes this exciting. And then we start reading the stories you know, throughout the church. So there was a, a family last year in Williamsburg. He got a, a, a bonus check in the mail. And so he, because he's a person of integrity, he called his employer and said, I wasn't supposed to get this. I, this isn't time. And they said, well, we'll get back to you. And they, they called him back and says, you're right. You weren't supposed to get it, but we, you're doing such a great job. We want you to keep it. And it's right. I'm just telling you. And so, and it was there. It was was their faith promise. In fact, he and his wife had, had said they had two numbers they were trying to decide, and the bigger number, they said, that's impossible, and they chose the smaller number to turn in for the faith promise, and it was the bigger number that they were able to give because it's just a great story. They didn't even make the faith promise, and God still brought it to them, and so I, I'm just telling you, God is setting you up for an amazing story. It, it might come tomorrow. It might come December 31st. You with me? You might have to wait for that, and that's part 
of the journey. A big chunk of that, over $30,000 came in in just in December of this, of this past year. So we're just excited about that being a part of who we are as a church forever forever. Uh, to be able to do this work we want to do in missions and to be able to see the vision that God has given us to see it advance. So we're, we're in a series called Praxis. You know, we kind of stumbled into this series a little bit accidentally. We were going to do a series on fasting and we're still going to get to that at some point. But, but the, the introductory remarks that I was going to do just for a week to create some context has now become a series that we're now in part four of. And, and, and I just want to share a, a couple other more things that God was stirring my heart during worship. You know, this sermon series that we're in is about the work that we have to do as devoted followers of Christ. It, it's the part that we're responsible for. But I, I just appreciate Kim coming up and sharing what God spoke to her heart because we, what we want to say is the work that we do is going to be fruitless unless God still does the supernatural stuff that only he can do. There are prophetic moments that are waiting for you in your tomorrows. There are divine encounters, just the work of providence, that God is, is in control of the universe, and he has a plan for your life. And so there's this idea of Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. So again, this, this series that we're in is talking about the, the stuff we've got to do, but the stuff that we've got to do, it, it, it occupies us from experience to experience that's otherworldly that only God can do. And, and we're just, we're a church that believes that God wants to move in your life in unexplainable ways. That he wants to move in your lives in ways that, that surprise you, that challenge you, that maybe you were here tonight and, and you even came thinking, I feel like I've been running from God. And then Kim gets up here and she uses that phrase. That's God speaking to you in a personal way. And at, when we get to the end of the service, I believe there's another personal way that God's going to speak to us. So, all right, let's, let's, let's teach a little bit tonight. This series called Praxis, our, our, our life verse or our text that we're working off of is Matthew 16, 27. You can get the other three uh, online. I'm going to do a little bit of introduction, not as much as I did last week, but I want to just touch on some things because these ideas, they build on themselves. It says, for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. Which means that even if you made a vow of devotion to Christ and heaven is promised to you, there's still a judgment that we're going to undergo in heaven. That we're going to have to give an account for the lives that, that we live. And this word deeds in the Greek is the word praxis, and it means something that's ongoing. It, it means what characterizes your life. And so what we believe as a church, that judgment that we're going to walk through as Christians is that, that Jesus is going to talk to us about what characterized us. He's not going to judge us based on that one little mistake, or he, he's not going to define us by maybe that one great day we had that was just above beyond all the others, and, and he, we're going to be judged based on what characterizes us. How do we live our lives day to day? If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. See, a lot of people, this, this word judgment, if I were the word judgment, I'd be a little upset because every, people only ever think of that in the negative, right? But part of judgment is good. Part of judgment is honor. Part, part of judgment is, is, is someone acknowledging the good that is in you. This idea of judgment, it's like the world has taken it and, and, and just used it always in the negative for the negative connotation. But as devoted followers of Christ, if we give ourselves to this, what we call this praxis, which we're going to explain in just a minute if you're visiting, is that not that I'm going to step into that judgment with a sense of arrogance, but I can step into that judgment with a sense of hope. That I've given my life to the purpose that God created me for, and I'm still going to make mistakes, and I'm still not going to get it all right. But what can characterize me in this journey is a life that was sold out 
for Jesus Christ. So there are four numbers that make up what we call the praxis. This is our discipleship model as a church. It's the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. And what we say is what you're going to see, if I accept the one, I'm going to show you that in just a minute, then I have to fulfill the six. And to fulfill the six, I have to walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. All right, so let's talk about the one. You ready? A little bit of recap here. The one is the great invitation that you and I are given. We find it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. It's where Paul says that you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. It's the Greek word mimites. It means to imitate. It's used six times in the New Testament, and it's only ever used in the positive, which means that it's not the same thing as pretending to be someone that you're not. That's hypocrisy. That's not what we're talking about. This is the idea of imitation and the sense that there is somebody that you respect. It's somebody that you admire, and you're saying, I want to be like them. As devoted followers of Christ, all of us should want to be like Jesus, and that's the great invitation that we believe is the same for every person who's a follower of Christ. There's a lot of things about your destiny that's going to look different from mine. There's a lot of things about my destiny that's going to look different from yours. Places that we're supposed to go, things that we're supposed to do, people that we're supposed to impact and influence, and churches that we're going to be a part of. You're with me? We're going to look very different, but one thing should be the same for all of us, that on the inside, the character of Christ should shine bright. If I accept the one, then I must fulfill the six. Again, so we're just doing a little bit of recap, a little bit of recap. So the six are six commands that Jesus gives. Now, I keep throwing this up every week because I feel like a lot of people have been in the place that, 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 that I'm often at, even in my life today. I like the idea of Jesus being all of these things to me, but sometimes my humanity does not like the idea of Jesus being my master. Right? All of us suffer from humanity, and humanity says, I want to govern myself. I want to be in control of myself, and I was created to be governed by a Savior. I was created for my life to be given to my King. And, and, and so there's this battle that's going on inside of all of us all the time that our humanity wants to resist the governance of Christ in my life. And part of my journey is I have to bring myself daily to a place of surrender. I have to exercise my will to surrender to him. And so as my master, I want to understand what he teaches. And we believe as a church there are six foundational commands that Jesus gives to us all. And that if I want to be like Jesus, then I need to understand what he asks of me. And we believe that all of the teachings of Christ trace their roots back to these six foundational commands. The first one is where Jesus says, follow me. That's devotion to Christ. Again, we're just doing recap. Mark 12, 30 is where Jesus says, love God. That's intimacy with God. John 13, 34 is where Jesus says to love others the way that I have loved you. It's separate from the second great command where he says to love others the way that you love yourself. He says, a new command I give to you to love others the way that I have loved you. That's a whole different standard of loving. The last three are appetite for growth in Matthew 5, 48, where Jesus says, be perfect. Now, we know we're not ever gonna be perfect, but what Jesus says to you and what he says to me is, let's get a little bit closer tomorrow. Let's move forward. Let's, Let's never stop growing. Diligence and mission, the great commission, go into the, all the world. We have a, a work that we're supposed to do. Equipped by the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, where Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If I accept the one, then I've got to fulfill, I've got to fulfill the six. And the only way that I can fulfill the six is if I walk in the twelve. 
Now, the 12 are what we call the pathways. The pathways, I think, are, are, are what most people in our church that call us their home, that they relate to the best. And that makes sense to me because they're the ones that are practical. They're the ones that are measurable. They're, they're the things that I do. They're the things that, that tomorrow I can say, did I do this? Did I do that? Sometimes it, it's a little bit nebulous, right, to say that how good did I do at loving God today? And I think what God wants us to understand is, well, let's talk about how you can know that. You with me? If you're married, we've got a marriage life group that's going on right now, and with Valentine's Day coming up, I hope that you're asking that question, right? Am I doing a good job of loving my wife? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you can ask her because she can tell you, right? But, but there's some things that if you have a healthy marriage that you should be doing, right? There's, there's, there's the goal of what I want it to look like. That's what the six are for us. But then there's practical, everyday things that I have to do if I want to have that. Like Nate and Laura getting ready to do the total money makeover. If There should be something inside of you that says, I want to be a good steward of my material resources. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But, but if you just go through every day going, I hope I do it, I hope I do it, right? There should be a plan. There should be a strategy. There should be some things that you're doing practically to fulfill that desire. Those six commands are desires that we should have. The 12 pathways are how I actually begin to walk it out. All right, so let's talk about the 12. We're, we're almost through the recap. We did four last week. We're gonna try to, we're gonna do, we're gonna do eight tonight. This is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths. I love how this is plural. I, I believe the language of the Bible is, it's, it's specific, right? It's not just one path, they're paths. That's part of where we get this concept of pathways. They're, they're eternal. It means that they're timeless, Right? It means if Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, guess what? Churches are still going to be talking about these 12 things that we're talking about. They're, they're never going to get outdated. They are eternal in and of themselves, and they lead me into the depths of eternal life. This is eternal paths where the good old way is. Not old in the sense that it is antiquated, but old in the sense that it is timeless. See, I think sometimes people get this view of God because he's eternal, that he's old and outdated and, and, and out of touch, right? He's old in the sense that he's timeless. He's, he's old in the sense that he's timeless and that he's perfect in everything that he does and he's outside of time and above time. And although trends and fashions and things may change in this world and stylistically things might change in the church, that, that God, come on, is a constant in the universe, and there are many things about the Christian journey that I think God says these things will never change, and these 12 pathways are part of it. And he says, walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. And I love how it just doesn't stop there. It could have been a, right? It might be that we'd say, I wish the verse just stopped there because it's so uplifting, right? But it doesn't stop there because the Bible isn't just given to us to be uplifting. The Bible is given to us for honesty, right? The Bible is given us to tell us like it is. If you've got people in your life that love you, they're not just sycophants. They're just not telling you what you want to hear, right? They're telling you sometimes the things that you need to hear, right? That's part of marriage. Hello. All right. Didn't get any amens on that one. But they said we will not walk in it. And this is, this, right, at the end of the day, I think the reason why people are not thriving spiritually, it's because of this right here. 
It's how we do it. It's how I do it as a pastor. I'm having a conversation with someone that's struggling in their, in their life that I, I want to get to the place where I'm saying, look, can, look, I want to talk about the pathways for a minute. And how many of these are active in your life? And, and people that are, that, it's not always the case, but the, major, the majority of the time, there's always ex- exceptions. The majority of the time, people that, that are suffering in a place of just feeling flat spiritually, feeling uninspired spiritually, feeling like there's just no direction in their life spiritually, that if they were to sit down and take an honest look at these 12 pathways, very few of them are active in their lives. If you want there to be rest for your soul, there's a lot that God has to do. Guess what? He's faithful. He's going to do it. The question is, are you going to be faithful with doing the part that you've got to do? And, and, and the part that you and I have to do is we have got to walk in these 12 pathways. He's not going to do it for us. Right? There's, no, there's no pinch hitter when it comes to the pathways. Right? I can't give my kid an extra $20 in his allowance to read the Bible for me this week. You're tracking with me? You, you have to do it. And if you do it, your heart will come alive. The part of you that is eternal, the part of you that, that makes you special, the part of you that makes you unique will begin to flourish and you will begin to have feelings of being alive like you have never had before, even if nothing of your circumstance that may be honestly difficult, nothing in that circumstance changes tomorrow, something can change in here. Walk in these pathways. So last week we talked about scripture and worship and prayer and fasting. And for Scripture, we talked about how the Bible needs to be authoritative for us. It needs to be an authority. I've got a blog. I'm doing a blog right now. You, should, you can go there to the, to the website and, and, and check it out. But part of the series that I'm writing right now is, is I think it's one of the reasons why there's some big questions on certain issues in our society is that the church has lost its appetite for the authority of Scripture. So you can check that blog out for yourself. We talked about worship, how worship should be expressive. We do div- what we call Davidic worship here. It's the, it's the book of Psalms. There's instruments and there's, 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 there's dancing and there's, there's just... It's, it's impassioned. At the uh, uh, College Young Professional Super Bowl party last week, there was a young man that was there that said, I'm telling you, uh, Fred, that, that one point about worship, I think that was just for me. And I said, so, so where are you? Right? Are you palms out yet? He said, I'm palms out, but I don't have the elbow bend yet. <laughs> he said, but I'm, but I'm getting there. He said, I'm getting there. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Right? We, we, we talked last week about how God's not trying to change who you are. He's not trying to change your personality, but everybody's got to at least get across the threshold of expressiveness. If it looks like you're disinterested, you've not crossed the threshold yet. You've not crossed the threshold. But find a place of expression. Prayer is this idea of just having an ongoing conversation. The idea of prayer is huge. We, a couple of uh, years ago, we did a whole series on prayer that lasted for several months. Prayer is a big idea in the Bible, but the basis of prayer is all the same. A conversation with the Father. He wants to talk to you, and he, he wants you to talk to him. Fasting is big. We're going to get to that series, I, I promise you. So we're going to go when we get out of this one, the, the praxis. But, but uh, when you gain control of your food appetite, I'm telling you, so many of the other appetites in your life that are out of control will get lined up. It's one of the reasons why fasting is so important. It's, it's, it's a journey that God takes us on to be in control of ourselves. And, and the appetites that God has given to you, you're supposed to be responsible for those appetites. And, and when you learn how to be responsible for those appetites, they can be appetites that you enjoy. can be appetites that you celebrate. And when you gain control of this appetite, of this stomach, and this palate, I'm telling you so much of the rest of your life will just fall in line. 
All right, so let's get into the eight we're going to do tonight. Let's talk about gathering a little bit. So gathering, I'm going to read out of Acts 2.46. This is, we, you know, we highlighted three of these pathways that we believe are going to be instrumental uh, in, in, our, in our journey uh, for our 2020 vision. Gathering was one, generosity was one, and, and service was, was one. So Acts 2.46 says, they worshiped together at the temple every day, right? You're, you're thinking, good God, I have a hard time getting to church once a week, right? They were there, they were at church every day, and their life groups met every day. I know, I know. See, you got it easy. You got it easy. They worshiped together at the temple every day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. At our, at our, at our 2020 vision service, our anniversary service at the end of January, we, we talked about how the early church grew in such remarkable ways because God moved and because people gathered. He moved in profound supernatural ways because he's God and he's sovereign and it was time for him to, 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 to reveal himself to the world like he never had before. But you know what, that's, that's a huge part of why the church grew. We, we cannot take that out, right? The church would not have grown without that. But they also grew because they gathered. Something by way of an appetite for community came alive in the hearts of people like it never had before. And what we're saying at City Life is that we want to have that same kind of appetite. That, that we might be 2,000 years on the other side of Acts chapter 2, but we, want to, we don't want to be on the other side of the things that were happening there. We're further down the road of history, but the same things they had then we can have now. There should be something inside of you that, that longs to gather with the people of God, to worship, to learn from his word, to pray, to talk, to interact, to, for your kids. Come on, that part of why you come if you've got children is because you're supposed to set something in them at an early age to awaken this appetite inside of them to gather with the people of God. It might be that gathering with the people of God is hard for you because you've had bad experiences in your past. I've had bad experiences in my past. And, but what we all understand is that I can't let the bad experiences of my yesterday rob me of the goodness of my tomorrow. Don't let those people that hurt you, don't let them keep taking from you. It's one of the reasons why you left those places because you said, I don't want these people to hurt me anymore and take from me anymore. The problem is oftentimes we get stuck in a place and we, and we say, well, it happened then, it's just probably gonna happen again. You might not be with them anymore, but they're still taking from you. Right? You've got to find the place where you can trust again. You've got to find the place where you can gather again. And if it's not here, tell us what you're looking for. We'll give you a list of churches to go visit. Our heart is not to build and grow the City Life Church. Our heart is to grow the kingdom of heaven. And what, and what our heart is, is that you just stop living your life as a spiritual orphan. There's a family that's waiting for you, and if we can help you find it, we want to be a part of it. All right, so but we're just, if you call this your church home, and, and gathering is something that's a little bit lackadaisical for you, that's got to change. In order for us to be able to see all the things that we feel like God has revealed to us over the next six years, it's going to require that all of us give this idea of gathering a new sense of priority in our lives. Right? If you call the City Life Church your home, we're asking you to look at, are you giving it the priority that it needs to be? Because of the gift that it is to the church, but also because of this conversation that we're having, is that you cannot thrive spiritually unless all 12 of these pathways are at work in your life. 
Now, when you look at all 12 of these, you might say, well, Fred, I'm not sure I'm doing any of them. You know, that's a little bit overwhelming, and I would agree. And so I would say, don't tomorrow say, I'm going to do all 12, because you're going to wear yourself out and then just get frustrated. You just, you pick a few, and if you're not sure which one you should pick, then talk to us, and we'll pick a few based on your circumstance and your situation to get you on your way and on your journey. If you want to thrive, come on, you've got to walk in all 12. If you want to feel the rest of your soul, then you've got to do all 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. This one is about, about relationship. It says, two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. There's, there's, there's no reason for people to suffer in loneliness. There's just not. Your personality might dictate how many people that you might say, I'm in a, I'm in a relationship with these people, right? If you're a naturally introverted person like, like I am, that's my personality, I'm a naturally introverted person, I, I'm gonna, I have fewer close friends. It's just, it's part of my personality, it's part of my personality makeup. God's not trying to rework your personality, but, with, but within your personality, you can still walk in these pathways, right? So Vanessa, if you know Vanessa, you know that she's not introverted, Right? And so, so, the, so she's, she's, she's got lots of friends, and she's got friends from different eras of her life, and she, just, she has a big relational capacity. It's, it's, much, it's much bigger than mine, but I still have people that know me, and, and, and I have people that I know, right? So it's part of this idea of expressiveness. Your personality might drive a lot of the, the how many, but all of us should at least cross the threshold of relationship in our life. There have got to be some people that I can say, you know what, I really know these people and those people really know me. It's not just superficial. It's not just, it's not just casual. They, they, they know my story. They, they know my mistakes and I know their story and I know their mistakes. This idea of relationship is that, is that we need people that love us enough. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes because it talks about when you fall, right? They, you've got to have people in your life that love you enough that when, when you're in need that they're going to be there and the reason why they are there is because they love you and the reason they love you is because you've invested in relationship. You can't wait till you're in need to, to, to say, where are all my friends? Because I, I think sometimes what God says to you is what, what you've, not, you've not done anything for the last 12 months to build any relationship with anybody. The, the, there's a part that God's going to do, and then there's a part that you're going to do. There's a part that I'm going to do, right? I've got to show up at the life group. I've got to get involved in a, in a ministry. We're going to get into this in, over the next couple of weeks. There, there are principles that govern these pathways. They, they build on each other, right? My worship life begins to explode the more I read the Bible because I have a greater revelation of the glory of God. You tracking with me? The deeper my relationships go, the more I want to serve because I want to serve the people that I love. Right? These 12 pathways are all interconnected in our lives. This idea of relationship, you were created by God to be in relationship with people. There is a hungering inside of you, and it's the same with gathering. Have you been hurt? We've all been hurt. Have you been mistreated? We've all been mistreated. Now, your story legitimately might be the worst story in the room. The worst story in the room. Don't let those people that harmed you then rob you of the goodness of your tomorrow. There are friendships that are waiting for you with people that you could trust, who are going to love you, and this is something I'm telling you, you desperately need it. I desperately need it if we're going to thrive in our spiritual lives. If I'm going to fulfill the six, I've got to walk in the twelve. And the only way that I can become like Jesus is if I fulfill those six. All right, accountability. 
These three kind of go together. Accountability, James 5.16. James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's a phrase that I like to use. There, there should be some people in your life whose no gives you pause. There should be people in your life whose no gives you pause. We're not talking about control. We're not talking about the, the people that, that, that you can't do anything in, in, unless you've got permission. We're not talking about that. Right? That broken teaching's all throughout the church. It's been in the church for a long time, and it's not part of this church. But what we're saying, though, is there should be people that you're, you're in relationship enough that their no gives you hesitation. Right? I've got men in my life. If, if they were to say to me, Fred, that's a mistake, I, I'm not doing anything in, until I... I, I I hear what they have to say because I trust them and their no gives me pause. I, I'm just telling you for me, I'm not saying this should be you, but I, there's men in my life that their, their no is more than just giving me pause because I trust them so much. I wouldn't even move forward in, in, until they were even to change their mind. And if they're not willing to change their mind, then I'm not moving forward because I trust them that much. Are you tracking with me? I mean, there's, there's depths of degree of accountability. You've got to decide how far you're going to go with it. And it's based on the relationship and the trust that you have with those people. But at the very least, you should have people in your life whose no gives you pause, right? You're single, and you, you, you bring this guy to hang out with your friends, and everybody else sees, right, that they are trouble, and you're the only one that can't, and these are people that you love. Their no should give you pause. You tracking with me? Right? You're going to make a huge decision that you've decided it's time for me to do this, this, that, and the other. And you've got a group of friends that you really love, that you trust, and they are trustworthy. You're tracking with me? And they say, this is, this is a bad idea. Their no should give you pause. All of us should have people in our lives that we trust like that. And it takes investing in a relationship to get to that place where you can have real accountability. Accountability is never anything that anyone can ever lord over you. Accountability at its very essence is something that you give to other people to give back to you. I, account, accountable relationships don't work unless I've given people permission to speak into my life. Part of that, part of that group of people means that I also need to have some people in my life who are farther along in their spiritual journey than I am, and also their no gives me pause. See, if the only people whose no gives you pause are, are your contemporaries, that can end up in a really bad place, and you can read about Solomon's son to see how that turned out for him. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. If, if, if the only people that you're going to for counsel are people that are your age and of your experience and of your life, you, you might still submit it to them, but, but they, might, they might not know any more than you do. You tracking with me? So all of us also need some people, right? When I'm making big decisions, when I'm praying about big decisions, like right? the, the men in my life, they're the men of the governance team, but I'm also putting a call into Mike Kavanaugh or Joe Jansen, the, these guys that are spiritual fathers to me in, in Elam Fellowship, because I want to know what they've got to think, right? Because they're they are far ahead of me in this journey. Their no gives me pause. You tracking with me? People in your life, if you want to be spiritually healthy, build relationships that are deep enough where trust flows and people's know will give you pause. Reaching, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. 
God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Your devotion to Christ should always be personal. It was never intended to be private. It's supposed to be personal. It's not supposed to be private. God is asking us to tell the world. Now again, your personality might dictate how that happens or how frequently that happens, but something inside of you every day that you wake up should be longing for opportunities to point other people towards the Creator. There should be something inside of you that's looking, looking for the opportunity. Is there somebody that I'm supposed to cross paths with today, God? And maybe it's just something small. It doesn't necessarily have to be something grandiose, right? It's just having this sense of responsibility like this text that we just read in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that God wants you to be his ambassador to the world. It's not just for this person or, or for that person, it's for you. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, your story is special. Your story is unique. The love that you have for Christ. And, the, and you might say, well, Fred, I'm, I'm brand new to this thing. Well, God can still use your story. Right? People in Scripture, it was brand new for them. And he used their story to turn the world upside down. He, he's not looking for you to be the expert. He's just looking for you to be available. And if in your heart you would say, God, I, I want to be a person that reaches others, I am telling you there's going to be all kinds of opportunities that are going to be in front of you for the rest of your life. All right, let's keep going. I want to do four more. Service, Ephesians 2.10. We, we like the verses that come in front of this because this is the part where it talks about salvation comes through grace, but oftentimes I think we stop reading and then God reminds us, hey, part of the grace that I've given you is because I've got stuff for you to do. Right? Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul's not saying just he's planned a few things for a few select people, and he's, he's planned a few things for the Billy Grahams of the world, right? They, no, 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 he, for all of us. We've made a vow of devotion to Christ. He, he's, he's got things for you to do. Your life is shaped a certain way. Your life experiences, your natural abilities, your, your, your personalities, your, your spiritual gifts, your, your heart's desires, right? He's been working on shaping your life from the day that you were born and the shape that you bring to the kingdom is unique, it's special, and nobody else can do the things that you're, you're called to do. And this is part of finding a church to call home is that church is incomplete without you and you're incomplete without that church because you need the giftings and the callings of their life to, to build you. We've got to throw in this thing together, right? Ephesians chapter four talks about the body of Christ, each part fit, fitted just right together, each part doing its part in love. There's, there's a part that you've got to play. This, this is one of us for our, our emphasis, for our, our, uh, our, our 2020 vision is that we're saying, if you call this your church home, you've got to find at least once a month, you've got to do something on weekend to help make our weekend services happen, right? If, if you like what's happening here, then you've got to find a way to be a part of making that happen for somebody else, right? Even if you're involved in a ministry that's outside of here, right, outside of the weekend service, if you call this your church home once a month, there's, you've got to do something once a month to help make this service happen. It's because we serve each other. It's because we love each other, because we, we care for each other. And so that's part of what they're learning in, in Discovering City Life. And if you've already been through that, that's one of the challenges that we get. Find some, there's something that everybody can do at least once a month to help make our weekend services happen. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. If you're not sure, I've got some suggestions for you. 
Do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure, right? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This is a part of the culture of our church, right? You, you know, if you've been with us for any amount of time, we're, we don't browbeat people about, about giving. We celebrate giving here, right? We celebrate it. And, 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 and we've had a history of amazing generosity that, that we shared at our, at our 2020 Vision Church. This last year was the most generous year in the history of a church, a church of our size. We broke the threshold of $450,000 in giving last year between both campuses and over $30,000 given in Faith Promise. This church is an incredibly generous place, and we celebrate that. You don't have to browbeat people for generosity to come alive in people's hearts. You love people and teach people the generosity, it begins to take care of itself. And and for us as a church, you know, Vanessa and I, we joke, we don't look at the giving, right? I don't want to look at the giving. I I, I tell people all the time, you don't want me to look at the giving because because I'm human, right? And so you've heard me say this before, if you call me in the middle of the night in crisis and I know what the giving is, if I see your name, I might not answer the phone right? So I just, I, I, I need help. I'm a broken person, just like you. I need help to do the right thing, sorry? So we put that responsibility on the elders and the trustees and let them deal with it, right? Because you're not calling them at three in the morning. Maybe we should change that, right? We should change that, right? All right. You tracking with me? We, we want to be able to just walk in freedom as pastors. N- none of our pastoral team looks at giving. We don't look at it, we're, and we're not going to look at it. But we, we do ask our elders and trustees to look at it because we want to know how are we doing as a church. And so we shared this at our 2020 vision that about 25% of the church uh, walks in the biblical principle of tithing and we teach on that a few times a year. Uh, and then we have about 35% that do not give at all, nothing at all. Uh, and then the remaining part is broken up pretty evenly amongst uh, give sporadically and, and, and give regularly. And so we're just setting a goal as we move forward in this 2020 vision is I think that 35% should always be less than 15%. Right? There's always going to be people that are maybe in a place of crisis, or maybe they're new to Christianity. This idea of generosity and giving is brand new for them. That, right, that population of people should always just be turning over. It shouldn't be the same people all the time. But there's always going to be some people there. But we also said that, that 25% for tithing, that's too low for us. It's too low. Can you imagine what we would be able to accomplish together if 50% of the people walked in the biblical principle of tithing? You, you track it with me? The campuses that we could launch, what we could do with a school that's going to start as an internship program, what we could do with these missions organizations that we're supporting and missionaries that we're supporting around the world. And I think 50% is a great number to aim for for tithing because I believe that at least 50% of the people who call this their church home believe that tithing is biblical. You with me? I think, I think at least 50% of people that call this their church home believe in tithing. And so my, my question is, let's walk in the things that we believe together. If we believe it, let's practice it. All right, stewardship, Psalm 24.1, another one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. See, when I get Psalm 24 down, 2 Corinthians 9.7 just begins to happen a little bit easier. Because I realize everything I have, it's not mine anyways. It all belongs to the Father. And I'm supposed to live my life in an ongoing conversation. God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? See, if you're a husband, if you're mistreating your wife, that's a big deal because she belongs to him. If you're a parent and you're neglecting your children, it's a big deal because they belong to him. If you have a, a job and you're just lazy in their job because you're lazy, that's a big deal because your boss isn't the person with the nameplate on the door on the desk. That job belongs to him. I, I'm telling you, when you get a hold of this idea of everything belongs to God, it will turn your world 
upside down. All that I have, whatever natural abilities I have, whatever desires I have, whatever material resources, everything I have, I am a servant of the King. I belong to the Most High God, and I've got to live. Do I get it right all the time? No, I don't. None of us do. That's part of Matthew 5, 48, but I want to do better tomorrow than I did today. It's all His. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. We save this one last because I think this is one of the most uh, forgotten practices in churches today, and I think it's also one of the most misunderstood. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Now, this reference to rest in Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about a physical rest. But at the end of Hebrews 3 and on through much of Hebrews chapter 4, there, I believe there are four Four rests. I had to look down and make sure I'm holding up the right number of fingers there for a minute, right? I want to make that. There are four. Four rests, right? There's four, four rests that I believe the Bible talks to. And one of the reasons why I think so many churches fail in rest is because they're confused about what there are. One is paternal rest. There, there is a rest that comes to you from knowing God as your Father. When, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, this blog that I wrote, I talked about this idea of people that say that everybody's God's child. That's not true. Everybody's a part of God's creation, but we're not one of his children until we make a vow of devotion to Christ and we take our first spiritual breath and we're born into the family. It doesn't mean that we have permission to mistreat people, right? God still commands us to love people, but the Bible clearly says in John 1 and John chapter 3 that there's a distinction. Those are who his children are have made a vow of devotion. And, and when you take your first spiritual breath and have this sense of being born into this family, there's a sense of rest that comes deep inside of you. And if you've ever made that decision, you would know what I'm talking about. There's, there's just a peace that you walk in because you've been reconciled to your God. There's purpose rest that Hebrews 4 talks about. When you begin to walk in your calling, when you begin to understand the things that God has given you to do in this world, there's a restfulness that comes. You might be physically tired from running after your destiny, but on the inside, there's peace and there's rest because you're walking in your purpose. There's perpetual rest that Hebrews 4 talks about. There's a restfulness that comes to you knowing what's gonna happen after you die. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you know that heaven is promised to you. And when you live with the hope of what's to come, no matter what's happening now, there's a sense of rest that I have because I know my eternity is settled. And the last one is a physical rest. And we teach on this at least once a year because churches are some of the worst places where this is violated. We believe in a weekly Sabbath. And just so God would know that we wouldn't get confused about it, he made it one of the big ten. There's not any of the other Ten Commandments that we would say, well, we don't have to do that anymore. That's why God put it in there, because he knew in in our workaholic attitudes and our humanity and part of the fall, which that's another sermon for another time, he knew he needed to make it part of the Big Ten so the church would do a good job of reminding people we're one of those churches. We're not going to be a church that fractures the family that we're supposed to build. There should be a weekly Sabbath that that you're walking in. And if your life is rightly ordered, there's enough time to do all the things that God's asking you to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We've got one more song that, that we're going to do. If I accept the one, then I must fulfill the six. And to fulfill the six, I must walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. And that's where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to talk a little bit about the principles that govern these pathways. But if, if you're visiting and what we're talking about intrigues you, I, I hope that you keep coming back. And if you can, I hope that you get it on the podcast. Because the 24, 24 virtues... 
Because what we're saying is, if you create a spiritually fertile environment in your heart, the character of Christ will grow. It will grow. If you create a spiritually fertile environment in your life, if you do your part, God's going to do his part, and those virtues are just going to begin to grow in your life. One day you and I are going to breathe our last, and we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives according to our deeds, the praxis of our existence. And I want to look like him because I think that's what he's looking for in me. And this is the journey to get there. So I want to shift gears because I'm believing every, I don't know how long it's going to last, but just as we're reading through the Bible every week, I'm just praying, God, I'm just, I'm believing that you're going to speak something to us for somebody that's here. And so I'm going to share this tomorrow in Williamsburg as well. But, but just, just this morning as I was, I was reading, you know, our, our Bible plan, we're doing the beginning plan, right? So you're starting the beginning of the Bible and read through the end. How many of you are doing that with us, right? right. Okay, that are way too few many hands. All right, we're not closing. I'm going to preach some more about scripture, right? There needs to be some more hands up next week. I'm just saying, right? So, so if, you're, if you're doing the beginning plan, then, then we're, in, we're, we're in Leviticus. And some of you are thinking, that's where I, I bog down every year, Pastor, right? I just get stuck there. I just get stuck there. Don't, when you get into places like that, I'm telling you, you got to ask God a question. God, you had 66 books. You, I knew you didn't have an editing problem in heaven. So there's a reason why I'm, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to see this. And so, so I was just praying about that today. I was, just, I was praying for you, right? For all four of you that are reading the Bible with me this year. It's <laughs> praying for you. So God, just help them, help them press through. Speak to them. Speak to them. And, and uh, my heart just got so full for somebody this morning because I felt like that somebody was going to be here, and I think somebody's going to be in Windsor tomorrow. And, and this is what you've been saying. This, you've been using this phrase, I don't fit in. I don't fit in. And if that's for somebody here, I hope that you come up at the end of the service because I want to pray with you. And this is what I felt like what God wanted to hear you say. I have, a, I, have a, I have a place for you. I have a place for you. And he wants you to learn how to speak that over your life. So what God, he's, he's, he's inviting you to make a trade tonight. For you to take your I don't fit in and trade that in for a phrase that says I have a place. See, because that's part of what Leviticus is about. The reason why he goes into such great detail, there's lots of reasons, and that's another sermon for another time, but one of them is this, because he wants you to know if he cares that much about things, how much does he care about you? If he cares about the color of the robe and where the lampstand's supposed to go in the temple and where this sacrifice is supposed to happen and where that priest is supposed to stand and this kind of bell that's supposed to be on that hymn and these layers that are supposed to go on those garments, right? It's on, right? And some of you are like, good God already. I'm sorry, God, I just used your name in vain about what you wrote, wrote to me, right? But that's what you feel. And what he's saying to you is, I'm putting that in there because I want you to know, if I care about things that much, how much more do you think I care about you? And he's saying to you, you don't have to walk around anymore declaring something over your life that's not true of, of, of I don't fit in. He's saying, no, 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 he, trade with him tonight, people. Trade with him. Leave here tonight saying, I have a place. Some of you, you just need to say it right now. I have a place. Because see, part of this journey as a devoted follower of Christ is speaking to things that aren't as though that they are.
You might still feel like tonight you don't fit in, but I'm telling you, if you begin to speak that over your life, I have a place. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not being able to create things. It's a declaration of faith. And I'm telling you, when you begin to walk in the faith of the promises of God, things, they just come alive. Stand with me. Father, as we just linger in this moment, just just a few more minutes to worship, I pray, Father, for everybody that needs to take possession of those words, they would own them tonight, and they would leave here, oh God, and you would write them on the table of their heart. I have a place. And that, God, that phrase is going to grow into things that are so much bigger. My God loves me. He has a plan for me. He has purposes for me. And when the enemy comes to lie, when he comes to steal, and when he comes to destroy, that they're just going to stand there with a beautiful smile and the countenance of a child of the king, and they're just going to speak the things over their own life that you've spoken over them, that they have a place in your kingdom. They have a destiny that's been born in the heart of a perfect father. And they have a purpose to live out all the days of their lives. Let's worship together.